Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm the culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, I'm very pleased to be joined today by Jake Tapper. Uh, now, Jake, uh, of course, is the host of CNN's The Lead and State of the Union. But for the purposes of this podcast, uh, he's the author of The Outpost, an untold story of American valor. Um, that book served as the source material for The Outpost, which debuted in 2020. Um, I don't know if it's the best movie about Afghanistan, but I do think it is the definitive movie about the Afghanistan war in a very precise way. No other film about the conflict has kind of captured the vibe of Afghanistan as a lot of like sitting around and pot shots of violence and not real strong, clear goals as to as to what folks are, are trying to get done over there. Um, passage of time in the movie and in the book uh, is kind of marked by the the coming and going of commanders. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. Uh, I really enjoy both your book uh, from the perspective as a as a military kid growing up you know with my dad in combat and stuff it was uh it was hard to read at times um and the the movie does a very good job of kind of getting at that a life on in in the world of combat um what did you I, I want to talk. I want to talk about what drew you to the project just to begin with. What what was it about combat outpost Keating that you were like, yes, this is a thing we have to. We we need to cover this. We need to see. People need to see what happened here. So, um, it's a story that sounds like a concocted answer, but it's real. Which is, so I'm a news junkie. Let me back up. I'm a news junkie as a as a journalist. So I could tell you, for example, the day that the story broke that uh, Senator Larry Craig had uh, been arrested for toe-tapping in the Minnesota airport, in the Minneapolis airport. That, that day was August 27th, uh, 2007. Now, I don't know that because I'm into Larry Craig. I know that because it was the day my daughter was born. And mm -hmm. so I know that I was in the hospital and she was born and I'm there and the news comes on and this happens. Um, by way of introducing the fact that my son was born on October 2nd, 2009, and Combat Outpost Keating was attacked on October 3rd, 2009. And so some day, sometime in that week, in that haze of um, being in the hospital with my wife as she recovered uh, from, from her C-section and I was holding my son, at some point there was a poignant moment when I was holding my son and watching a news report about eight sons taken from this planet. And I was the um, the White House correspondent for ABC News. So I had been reporting to a degree on Afghanistan. And I was, and I had done uh, a brief tour in the ABC News um, Baghdad Bureau. I'm very brief, like a couple weeks, maybe. Um, but I had never really, I, I don't think in any meaningful, emotional way, beyond the surface level of, oh, that's so horrible, that's so sad, whatever, understood why there would be eight guys in that valley, in that outpost. It just never, mm -hmm. I know it just like, it never hit me the way it hit me. And I mm -hmm. wanted to know more about, because all the news reports were like, all the news reports were people talking about, you know, people said it made no sense to put a, an outpost at the bottom of three mountains 14 miles from the Pakistan border and wondered why it was there to begin with. And so I, as a, as a news consumer was like, yeah, why did they put it there? Why? And then, mm -hmm. so, and then just as a, as an American, as a news consumer, I just waited for someone to tell me and no one did. And, um, 
the next time I read anything real about it um, was after uh, WikiLeaks came out and there were some WikiLeaks uh, recording the, the pleas for help from the outpost on that day. There was a New York Times story relying on that, but still didn't answer the questions. It was just about the desperation of that day. Mm-hmm. And so it just sent me on this journey to like start calling people who had served there and trying to find out more. And yeah. that's how it happened. Yeah. I, what was, what was the, the sourcing like in this? I mean, it, it feels like you talked to a hundred people in this book, uh, 200 people. I, it's hard to keep track of everybody, uh, in the, in, in just in terms of sheer numbers. I mean, right. there, there's so many, there's so many people in this and it, and it, because it's over such a long period of time too. I mean, you're, you're, we're talking about, you know, uh, years here. Uh, what was, what was the sourcing actually like? How did you, how did you get a hold of these folks? I mean, was it, what was, and, and, and then, and then the, I have a secondary question that maybe you can and can't answer. Um, but the, there are some folks who don't want to be named in this. There are, you know, intelligence officers who don't want to talk, uh, on the record. And I'm, I'm curious what their, what their experience and what their, what their hesitancy was. Well, a lot of them were still in the military, uh, and still in Intel at the time. And so they were willing to help, but they were not willing to, um, use their real names, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I probably, uh, I think a lot of them are out now and probably I could go back and, you know, name them, you know, give their real names. Yeah. But uh, some of it also is just emotional. Um, I did a story uh, for, I think, foreign policy that was a follow up about one of the soldiers um, from. So Combat Up was kidding, as you know, it was built in 2006 and it was had its major attack and then the U.S. destroyed it in 2009. And. So one of the guys from 2009 had the marble slab about the, in which the, the base was dedicated to uh, Captain Benjamin Keating. And uh, he told me the story about bringing that slab to Ben Keating's dad, Ken Keating, in Maine. When he told me that story, Sergeant Eric Harder did not want to be named. So in foreign policy, when I told the story, when I wrote about it, he was just a soldier. And then when it came time to do the paperback version of the book and I added an epilogue, by then he was comfortable with being named. So some of it was they were intel. Some of it was comfort level because of this being, you know, a horrific experience. In terms of the sourcing, so originally the book was just going to be about the attack in 2009. Um, And then some of the guys, uh, or rather one guy, an officer named Ross Burkoff, read in, I don't know, Politico or something that I was writing this book. And he reached out and he said, well, you're writing about this camp. You need to, you need to explain to people why it was built and why it was built there. And because he was from the 2006 group that pushed in from 371 CAV as opposed to 361 CAV. Mm -hmm. And then some other guys from the second tour from uh, 191 CAV reached out to me. They wanted me to tell the stories of their fallen uh, commander um, Tom Bostic. And, uh, you know, it, and it just went on from there until finally I was like, well, I have the first and second and fourth group. I might as well just reach out to the third and get their stories too. And that wasn't tough to find. And then it was just a, a matter of, you know, deciding what stories to tell. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, you look to honor the people that have been lost or who sacrificed in some major way. And obviously you want to tell the stories about the the major battles and, and why decisions were made. Um, and so it became just this, you know, 
500-page book about the history of this one outpost and trying to understand the war in general by just looking at this one outpost. And, you know, I tried not to take a political position in terms of should we be in Afghanistan? But, you know, I did obviously think of combat outpost Keating as a metaphor for the effort in general. Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of the key takeaway, both from the book and the movie is there is a question of why we are why we were there, why we are there, why, why, what the goal was, and also a question of just how much attention the American public uh, was paying. I mean, there's there's a line in your book that's also kind of in the in the movie. It's a, it's similar, not quite exactly the same, but ninety percent of the American people would rather hear about what Paris Hilton did on a Saturday night uh, than be bothered by reports on that silly war in Afghanistan. I mean, was was that was that the the takeaway from soldiers at this point in the war? It was like, nobody cares. Nobody cares why we're here. Why are we doing this? Lieutenant Dave Roller uh, told me that. He's one of the, I'm lucky enough that I'm still in touch with a bunch of these guys. And Roller said that to me. It kind of dates the book that it's Paris Hilton, but the same idea. <laughs> it, it was the day that his commander, Tom Bostick, Bostick and, and uh, another guy in his in his uh, troop, uh, uh, Ryan Fritchie, were killed. Um, just, you know, they had gone to meet with some elders and on their way back were ambushed and two Americans were killed. And, um, yeah, it was very frustrating to him, very frustrating to a lot of these guys that most people don't care. It's funny, actually, because in the last couple of weeks, a lot of Biden defenders uh, have been attacking uh, the news media for reporting on Afghanistan. And one of the things they say is that we're doing it for ratings. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I'm not going to respond uh, on social media. But I mean, if we were doing it for ratings and we picked the wrong subject yeah because the ratings haven't gone up covering the war in afghanistan people in the united states are not particularly interested in this they're not mm-hmm. i mean it's i'm i mean do you I, think that's I, do you think I'm, that's still true right now uh with with everything that's happening or have you have you noticed an uptick in in people reaching out to you spontaneously about afghanistan no i don't i don't think i i don't look i i, I tend as a rule to try to kind of not look at ratings because I've done that and I've not done it and it's corrosive to do it. Uh, it, it, it just, it's random. It's Nielsen. I don't know even how much I believe in the Nielsen ratings to be completely candid. Um, and you just have to cover what you think is important and, and not focus on, uh, what you think drives ratings. But I mean, from what I understand, this hasn't been a particular boon to anybody, uh, this story, mm-hmm. as opposed to, for instance, January 6th, which was a, you know, a lot of Americans were very interested uh, mm-hmm. in that. In terms of reaching out, people reaching out to me are reaching out to me because uh, they know people that are stuck in Afghanistan and are trying to get out. I mean, th- those are the people I'm hearing from, um, whether it's uh, soldiers or just people who have a connection. I mean, mm-hmm. members of Congress, I mean, this is why, um, while I do think it's great that the United States military has been able and its partners have been able to get 60,000 plus people out of the country, I just know firsthand that this is not a smooth, organized process. And look, you, people can argue it wouldn't have been if Trump was reelected and we did this in, in April or May. OK, whatever. But all I can tell you is if I'm involved in, in exfiltrating American citizens and the system mm-hmm. has broken down seriously at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of to bring it back to uh, the the kind of the books in the movie here, I, yeah. the the uh, 
what was your what is your take been on uh, both the kind of cinematic and televisual output of the war in Afghanistan? What are when you, when you watch something like I don't Lone Survivor say or or whatever, you know, what is your what is your take on what you are seeing um, in the in the entertainment media as opposed to the news media? So. Um, First of all, you said it, you didn't think you said it was the most accurate, but not necessarily the best um, movie about Afghanistan. And I'm not offended. I, I think it's the best movie about <laughs> Afghanistan. But what what would you say is? Uh, well, I, I, I don't I, I don't want to make a judgment on best movie about Afghanistan. Okay. I, I think it's I think it's definitive. Yeah. I think it is a definitive look at at a very real mood and vibe about Afghanistan. Yeah, um, We've which heard is a lot of soldiers and veterans of Afghanistan's talking about how real it was. And I think one of the reasons for that was um, Rod Lurie, the director, uh, really made an effort and, and I helped to put veterans, especially veterans from Cop Keating, to have them be part of the project. So for instance, mm-hmm. Ty Carter, who was there in 2008, 2009, who was later awarded the Medal of Honor, he was a consultant on the film. He was there during shooting. He has a cameo, a random cameo. Um, a, a guy named Dan Rodriguez, uh, who was, if you look at Taliban propaganda video of the attack, he's walking across the cop uh, at like six in the morning when all of a sudden they start attacking and he starts running and he plays himself in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there's a guy named Henry Hughes, Hank Hughes, who's who actually after the army went out and studied, I think at AFI, he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Short Film. Uh, and he he's acted and and helped produce this film as well. So I think just a lot of guys there made it very authentic. Um, I mean, one of the things I said to Rod when we started was that the number one complaint I hear from troops and veterans when they talk about what they don't like about war movies is how new everybody's uniforms look. So I said, please make everybody roll around in the dirt uh, as much as possible. Um, but Rod went to West Point, so you know he's got a good feel for this stuff. And and yeah. look, I, I really I thought Lone Survivor was great. Um, I, I thought it was a, a, a really uh, enthralling movie. It was Peter Berg, right? And Peter Berg did yes, that. yeah. He's I mean he's he's a great director. Um, and I, I you know I thought the part that was most poignant to me. I mean the book is very political. Uh, the movie was mm-hmm. was actually not. Um, mm-hmm. That was most poignant to me was the sto- was when they're on the hill uh, doing Overlook and a woman kind of like wanders there and they don't know what to do and they eventually just let her go and then ultimately they get attacked because that happened in yeah. in the book also for you know completely different situation and that happened a lot Americans didn't know what to do when they were like looking out on a potential insurgent target and a civ- civilian wandered in. Uh, what do you do? It's it's a ethical yeah. dilemma, and usually the Americans would just let them go, and then they would get attacked. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think what other Afghanistan movies there are. I mean, Lone Survivor, there aren't many. Yeah, aren't I mean, many. Um, American yeah. Sniper is kind of an Iraq movie. Right? It's more of an Iraq movie. Yeah, there's Twelve Strong, the about the the, hor- the horse soldiers of Afghanistan. I um, haven't seen that. There's the one that Michelle uh, Monaghan did, where she's a a woman dealing with PTSD. I thought was pretty powerful. I forget the name yeah. of it. Um, but I'm not sure if it was Iraq or Afghanistan. There was uh, was the one about bombed a few Hurt Locker, the Hurt Locker, um, which yeah. I loved. But people who work in that world are not not fans. fans. Yeah, no, because yeah. they say there's no 
they are the most anal by the book people in the world. And Jeremy Renner, like, you know, leaving the base, you know, they would never do that. Um, Into the Valley of Ella. Uh, I mean, there just haven't been a ton of movies. I never thought this was going to be made because uh, there's such a reluctance to to make a war movie uh, unless it's about, you know, World War Two. Right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the process of getting this made, uh, because I, it is, as you say, there aren't there aren't a ton of uh, war on terror movies, really. There just there just aren't that many. Um, and and also, I mean, this is you know, this is uh, this is a movie that culminates in a big battle. But really, the first half of it, again, is more about just kind of the slog of war, um, which is not a thing that. I think is is a thing that a lot of people don't think necessarily translates well to film, even though I think it it does here. I mean, it's it's very it's 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 very well broken up and very well kind of um, explained. What how did they did did Rod Lurie come to you and say, "Hey, I want to make this"? What what no, was that process no. like? First of all, let me just say one of the reasons why I think the movie is so good. I think this is Rod Lurie's best film, and I'm I'm a fan of The Last Castle and a lot of his other work, but I think it's his best film. His heart and soul is really in it, and and. Uh, and I went to Bulgaria while they were filming. I, I can tell you about that at a different, uh, later. But um, I think that one of the reasons why it works is because there's almost something horror movie-esque about it in the sense that, you know how like the first half of those good horror movies from the from the 80s, you kind of like, you know, or maybe, maybe horror movie is not the right term, but like a, you know, a movie with tension. There's just, mm-hmm. you know, something bad is about to happen. Like you feel it. You feel something bad is about to happen. He builds the tension. And in this case, it's, it's you know, it's the Taliban. Um, but it's not gratuitously done or anything. You just kind of feel this tense, this tension building and building and building. And I think that helps break up the monotony is like no, knowing they're here, they're doing silly stuff. They're waterboarding each other. They're making fun of each other. But by the same token, just like the threat of death is there the whole time. So I think that's why it's effective. The way it happened is this. So I wrote the book. It came out in 2012. Uh, I talked to one producer friend who wanted to make it, but his management team got all involved and it just ended up being like, let's just part ways now before we're not friends anymore. And then I, and then basically uh, these screenwriters, um, Eric Johnson and Paul Tomasi, who had written the fighter, which I Mm -hmm. thought was a really good movie. Um, uh, based on a true story, uh, reached out to me and I optioned the rights to them, I think for free. I mean, it was just like, mm-hmm. I had no expectation this would ever be made into a movie, much less a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm I, like, okay, you know, let's do it. And they wrote a script. And then, uh, then originally Sam Raimi uh, was attached. Um, but then I don't know why he he walked away from it. And honestly, this is just like, I've read enough about Hollywood and I have enough yeah. actor friends that I know that like, it's kind of amazing that anything gets made really honestly. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I've written a couple novels and trying to get kind of trying to get that, you know, that into a streaming series or whatever. It's, it, it really is just amazing. Like how, mm-hmm. um, how little, I don't know. It's just like, if you leave, if you leave certain worlds, like, um, it's like everybody's becomes like an American stereotype of, of what Europe is like, just like nobody works. It's everything is very slow. And like, why are Americans so high, you know, high pressure, high stress. So anyway, I just never thought it was going to be made. 
but then Rod Lurie got attached and that was cool because, you know, I think he's a good filmmaker and, and also he went to West Point. So he had a feel for it. And we talked a lot about, uh, you know, if I was going to be an executive producer, like what was my role going to be in terms of keeping, like, I really thought it was important that we keep the, the families and the veterans and the troops as involved as possible. Um, and let them know, you know, what's going on with it and who's going to be cast and who's going to play their loved one and this and that. And then it was a, and then it was a matter of like getting a studio to take a chance. And for, so millennium, uh, which is, you know, more traditionally known for these kind of movies that can't miss on an international stage, Mm -hmm. like the expendables or white house down or whatever. They, uh, they stepped in and then it was a whole thing about, and like, and then the pandemic hit and then it was a whole other thing. Um, yeah. you know, we were supposed to premiere at, at uh, um, South by Southwest, but yep. obviously that was canceled. And anyway, uh, that was the process, but, but I'll tell you the, the, the most nerve wracking premiere we ever had was so in October, uh, 2019. So the 10 year anniversary of the actual attack on cop Keating, um, the studio millennium paid for the gold star families and a bunch of the veterans to come to Washington DC to see an early cut. It was an early print. It wasn't completely done. The special effects weren't entirely done, but it's pretty close. And we were really, really nervous, Rod and I, especially me, uh, to show this to them because I mean, first of all, I can't imagine seeing your most traumatic day captured on film, yeah. you know, by, by, I mean, even though it was filmed in Bulgaria and Rod's the real deal, like it's still a Hollywood movie. And then second of all, you you know, let's say you lost a loved one in battle, seeing that loved one portrayed in a film, seeing that loved one's death portrayed in a film. I mean, we we just didn't know what to expect, but thankfully uh, Rod did such a good job that everyone we talked to, everyone who came felt like it honored, it honored their, uh, their loved ones. Yeah. Uh, when when uh, Paul Tomasi and Eric Johnson were writing the screenplay, were were they kind of in constant contact with you, trying to you know, ping, asking you for advice or maybe getting you know other interview materials? I mean, what what was that process like, or did they just did you just give them the book and they came back, you know, six months later with the the screenplay? Well, they 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 took you know they had the book, but then you know they did some of their own research too. Um, the original. I don't remember. The script went through a few different um, drafts, obviously. The biggest change, I mean, I would say that the some of the actual soldiers made some of the dialogue uh, more accurate, more contemporary with what uh, was in some of the first screenplays. But the biggest change that uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, collaboration, honestly, but beyond like mm-hmm. this book, I mean, but I'd written, you know, very long detailed book. Um, yep. Rod made the biggest change between what they wrote and what Rod filmed was Rod added, you noted how the film is basically broke up, <clears throat> broken up into um, t- chronology only according to the commanders that were there. And that's kind of like the biggest Liberty Rod took with, uh, with the book, which is, Cop Keating was formed in 2006 and it ended in 2009. And Rod took Ben Keating from 2006 and he took 
um, Rob Yaskes from 2008, uh, and he he took them and put them in 2009, like mm-hmm. as if this was all just like like a three or four month period as opposed yeah. to a four year period. Yeah, he conflated it, and and then that was when when the decision was made. We you know I told uh, the Gold Star families and the veterans about it, and some people, you know, some people didn't like it. Some people were upset about it. Um, but I, you know, I just tried to explain that one of the situations going on is we are trying to not only uh, tell the story of the guys in 2009, but tell the larger story of the cop and people who served there before 2008, 2009. And yeah, that there were going to be some liberties taken, but the, the, the larger truth was going to be one that that I thought they would they would be okay with, and in fact, do you ever read um, the website History versus Hollywood? No, no, no. It's a great no. website. Okay, it's it's like a super nerd, and I say that with affection and uh, and brotherhood, who wants to who like sees movies based on real stories and wants to know what's real and what's not real, and then he explains. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, I reached out to that website to let them know, like, what was real, what was not real. And so, so that so there would be a definitive place to prep them. Yeah. yeah. But that was those were the biggest changes he made, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the compression of time from several years to what felt like maybe six months uh, was is is the thing that jumps out the most uh, jumping from from book to movie. Um, which makes I mean, like movies are what they are. You have to you have to make changes like that. I, don't, I think everybody understands that. Um, I did. I was a little bit curious I- I- I how you felt about the treatment of Rob Yeskus in the movie. Yeah. Which I, I feel is, look, I, I again, reading this, reading this book as uh, the the uh, child of somebody who served and served in combat, like is really just a devastatingly hard part of the book to read. It's yeah. it's very it's rough. Um and in the movie, he's kind of, I don't want to say he's treated perfunctorily, but he kind of is. I mean, he's hes like a guy who's there for a bit and doesn't really get the due he gets in the book as being somebody who really helped kind of manage the situation in Afghanistan. Um, did you, I, I don't know. I mean, I, do, I don't want to, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I, it, it, it felt a little unfair. I'll, I'll put it that way. Just watching the movie and reading the book. It, it just, it, it, it it hurt me a little to, to, to watch that. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I mean, for those who don't know, so, so Rob Yaskus was, uh, uh, an immigrant to the United States and he enlisted and, uh, he, his role at combat outpost Keating was that he really made a huge effort to, to bond with the local villagers. Uh, and they loved him and the assassination spoiler alert, of Rob Yaskis was one of the most devastating developments, if not the most devastating development in the arc of the camp, in the the life of the camp. There was, I mean, if the camp kind of had its own natural, you know, three-act arc, which is they go in there, things suck, some guys, uh, Colonel Kalinda, and then then the next year, uh, Captain Yeskis make it so things don't suck. Things are actually going well. 
you know, the village is, you know, there, there's a good relationship between the villagers and the, and the soldiers, et cetera. Then obviously at the end of act two, uh, in the book, um, everything goes to hell because Yeskus is assassinated. And then the, the last act is just the U S getting attacked. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. And Rob Yeskus was a interesting character. And then, you know, he has his whole, whole other story because he doesn't in the movie. He died. It's implied that he died immediately. But in but in real life, uh, he didn't. And uh, he had he never woke up again, um, but he had major brain surgery and he was recovering at Walter Reed and his wife. Uh, and two daughters. I mean, it's just heartbreaking stuff. I'm like, it's tough for yeah. me, me to even talk about years later reporting on it, much less having lived, you know, those people who lived it. But like the daughter is wondering where they're going to see their dad again. You know, would they, how are they going to deal? He lost a leg. And, you know, George W. Bush comes to the hospital and pins a purple heart on him. I mean, there's all this stuff that really happened. And at the end of the day, it wasn't in there. And, and what I, yeah. the only thing I can say about it is what I say to any of the other amazing stories that were either not given the attention it would have been nice if they could get or not even included like in the book there's uh you know there's a a medal of honor incident uh where a guy named jared monty um they're trying to capture a hill this is the thing that reminded me of lone survivor lone survivor they're trying to do overwatch uh overlook on a on an insurgent and they get it they get ambushed and anyway jared monty gets killed his story is not in this at all. Yeah. Um, Tom Bostic, his story isn't in it at all. I mean, there are all these very important moving stories. And all I can say is, look, if, if I had my druthers, if I was just king of Hollywood and I could do whatever I wanted, I would have made this a 10-part Band of Brothers miniseries on HBO. But then, you know what, Sonny? Even then, there would sure. be stories that were left out. Um, so all I can do is say, look... You know, uh, with Don Rumsfeld said, you go to war with the army you have. I mean, like you, you, you deal with the Hollywood you have. And yeah. the truth of the matter is, when it came to telling the stories that I wanted to tell, I told a bunch of them. Uh, Rod Lurie told a bunch of them. The movie was, you know, a lot of people saw it. And was it everything I wanted to know? But in the world <laughs> of Hollywood, I think yeah. we I think we escaped uh, okay. I mean, you know, nobody was removing their names from the from the credits, and uh, you know, I mean, yeah. this isn't Patty Chayefsky, you know, making all altered states. Like, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, uh, people people should re- if you haven't read the book, you got to read it. Uh, you can pick it up on Amazon anywhere else. Or Joe Fenty. Uh, and, and There's the- another story. Joe Fenty. So this incredible story. Yeah. This colonel. This is in the beginning of the book, and like. I think about this all the time. Colonel Fenty and nine other men die in a helicopter crash, having nothing to do with the enemy. Just the terrain there is so dangerous. And a major who, whose wife is best friends with Joe Fenty's now widow calls her on like a sat phone from the top of a mountain, completely disobeying military protocol, Major Timmons. Tells his wife, Gretchen, I think, who's on vacation, but wants her to get back to Fort Drum so she can be there for Kristen Fenty. So runs back there, and Gretchen Timmons runs to Kristen's door, and Kristen doesn't know yet. 
I mean, this is the shit that we didn't get to put in the movie. That, no. I should say these, these are the <laughs> stories that we didn't get to put in the movie that 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 you know still to this day break my heart. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. I mean, it, like I said, people, you got to read the book if you want to if if you want to understand what what is happening over the movie's on Netflix. So, I mean, you can watch the movie. Do you, hang up this podcast go watch the movie it's it is on netflix it's easy to get to um is there i always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything i should have asked is there what what should people know about uh, either your book or your the making of of the movie uh or anything else uh that i did not ask what was well what, your what questions are great um so it's not a question of that it's just the only thing i'd say is um a friend of mine whose husband is green beret said that they were watching the outpost, the movie, and they would stop it periodically. And he would tell her stories about his time in Afghanistan that he had never told her before because the movie and the, the, and the, I'm not saying I deserve any credit for this or even Rod deserves any credit for these are real stories, but bringing these real stories to the screen open something in him and his willingness to talk about this with his wife, whose name you would know if I mentioned it. And I just think that that is something that we need to think about as a, as a country, not, not the outpost movie, although I do hope people see it and, and find it compelling, but just the fact that there are all these people who did this for us, whether we asked them to or voted for Bush or Obama or Trump or Biden or whatever, um, and they have stories to tell and, and a lot of them are still hurting and you're from a military family, you know, this better than most, but like we owe them our ears, I think. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is a hard read, but it is one that everyone should. I, that's, that's a, about as nice a thing as I can say about a book. Um, so I, I, thank you very much for being on the show, Jake. I really appreciate it. And I, I've been wanting to get somebody on to talk about, uh, Afghanistan within the purview of this show or, or other shows. So this has been, uh, this has been cathartic for me at, at the very least. I hope everybody else enjoys it. Well, thank you. As, as, well. as you know, I, I, uh, I read your criticism and have for a long time. Don't always agree with it. Enjoy <laughs> the meme that you're always wrong. That's a, that's fun. No. That's fun for me. It's not true. I, uh, for example, I did, I did find pig a fairly profound film and I'm glad you recommended it. Um, but, uh, but this is, this is fun. I always, as as people don't know, but you know, I frequently slide into your DMs to ask you annoying questions about what you think about certain films. It's perfectly fine by me. Perfectly fine by me. Uh, thank you again for being on the show, Jake. I really appreciate it. Uh, I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys then. Mm-hmm.